On this episode of the Urantia Radio Podcast, I'm excited to announce Byron Belitsos is joining us. Byron is the author of the great book, Your Evolving Soul, and is about ready to release another book called The Truth About Evil, Sin, and the Demonic. Much to discuss on the Urantia Radio Podcast. Don't forget, we now drop two episodes per week, Thursdays and Sundays, so follow us often on your favorite podcast player. Byron recently graduated from seminary and is also attending the American Academy of Religion Conference in Washington, D.C., marking the first time in decades the Urantia book will have a presence at this acclaimed conference. In our interview, we talk about introducing the Urantia book to academia and why it becomes necessary to do so, in Byron's opinion, to advance the revelation. And we also talk about evil and why Byron believes the Urantia book is an answer to the tumultuous times we find ourselves in. So many more great topics we're going to discuss a lot. So this time up on the Arantia Radio Podcast, my guest, Byron Belitzos. The book is soon to be released called Truths About Evil, Sin, and the Demonic. Right. And we're going to get to some some really just brilliant prose that, that's part of the book. And also the academic level of research that went into this book is more than impressive. You know, back to the point is that up until recently... That's exactly what the problem has been, is that, that scientism has taken over academia and they, 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 they feel uncomfortable with anything that smells of religion. And I think that's why we're having a lot of the problems in society today, because of this sort of secular uh, attitude. And there's all kinds of political things about it, too. So I hope we can talk about all that. But So you're going to this event... And, yeah. it, it, and and there was another caveat to it uh, that you had touched upon. Uh, about the event itself? Yes. Uh, you're going, the fellowship is, is, is bringing their guns with them and they're going to have a... So how, uh, what is it that these, these, these folks do that say different from, say, Christian organizations getting together at their annual conclaves? Uh, how is this different from, from that? Right. This is a non-sectarian in the sense that academics uh, are academics. They they're they're doing uh, research in any of these areas without necessarily being advocates of 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 the materials that they're studying. You know, they're they're so they're not preachers, right? Mm-hmm. They're 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 professors and they're researchers, and you know, so it's like any other academic discipline. But you have to have some some objective distance from what you're studying. But if you know if you're a committed Catholic and you're a professor at say Georgetown, a Catholic university, yeah, you're espousing Catholicism, but you have a little bit of distance. Otherwise, you couldn't be an academic. You'd be something else. You'd be a you know you'd be an archbishop or you'd be a preacher. Mm-hmm. So this is the role that one needs in any field. And so I guess the point being that with the coming back to the Urantia revelation, if, if the Urantia revelation has not been studied in, in that way by academics who have a methodology for research that, uh, that, that they, that the, the, at least since the 19th century, you know, that we've had, 
research into the Bible and church history and you name it, you know, theology, philosophy, religion, uh, you know, and these are the people that are our professors that teach mm-hmm. our kids in universities, and we want them to be informed about <clears throat> any anything of interest. And, you know, you start out, Jim, saying that scientism has taken over, you know, the culture and academia, but but these are the religious studies people. So that's their job to, mm-hmm. to study religion. You know, they're, they're, they're not atheist materialists that you might find in the physics department. These are, this is a religion department or theology department. So most of them are theists and um, we, you know, and there's a methodology for the study of theology and religion that's well understood and worked out. <clears throat> you know, there's different dimensions, there's history, there's sociology, there's, you know, flat-out philosophy, you know, philosophy of religion and philosophic theology. This is well, uh, you know, well-charted territory, and the Rancher book is very strong in these areas of, you know, the, the, the philosophy of religion and philosophic theology and and sort of his, his, you know, it's just presenting a lot history. Of, it's almost like a dialogue that moves along from century to century. Uh, and in this century, we're debating the thoughts and ideas of, of those before us, which you bring a lot of that to your, your new, soon-to-be-released book, where you're going yeah. back to St. Augustine and the arguments that they were having then about free will versus uh, you know, total control. Uh, in your book, you refer to that a lot. And you, know, the, right. you depict the lessons of Job and how they were argued then versus you know, in more recent times with Immanuel Kant. And so it is a, a lot like a continuation of a dialogue where these, I assume, these professors and uh, professional, I guess you could call them professional theolo- theologians in, in a sense. Right. But, right? They are. Yeah. yeah. And, they're de- yeah. and they're having these same debates and how they apply, uh, you know, because I would imagine, you know, you know and I know that it's very politically contentious I would I would almost argue that these kinds of courses uh, have have to be kind of careful about what they say. You know, isn't there sort of a woke wokeness fear of of saying the wrong thing? And religion is such a touchy subject. Even if you're teaching right. it as a historical, you know, it's bound to be affected by you know a lot of the political political correctness that we see going on today. Do you see any of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. You know, but it's always the case that fashion, you know, affects everybody and everything. So, you know, today's fashion is to be politically correct and woke, and that's pervasive in all departments of universities that I can tell. I mean, even like physics or genetics, but when, you know, I was in a seminary uh, academic setting, uh, uh, just graduated from Union Theological Seminary, it was incredibly Congratulations, woke. by the way. Thank you. Yeah, just a master's, not a PhD. It was a very woke institution, you know, beyond belief. And, and <clears throat> we find, uh, one finds that with these highly, you know, sort of academic, effete uh, seminaries that they're all sort of left-wing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and woke and and uh, <clears throat> but then on the other side are conservative seminaries and you know centers of theological study too you know and they're not you yeah. know they, so there's still religious freedom in the country so you do not you know as long as you don't break the you know violate the Civil Rights Act of 1964 <laughs> you're you're going to be okay yeah. <laughs> to have a conservative seminary somewhere. And, um, and 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 abounds in the country. And uh, the, you know they have their own professorships. That, you know these these are very strong thinkers, even though they're conservative. You know they, you may not agree with them, and they are the ones too that are coming to the academy, American Academy of Religion, and they have their conclaves within it. You know that each each denomination they don't meet as a denomination, but they have their you know, their favored scholars and they give their papers. And so if yeah. you're, I don't know, Seventh-day Adventist, you know, there's right. certain professors that are really great, or if you're Catholic or if you're, pro, you know, if you're Lutheran. <clears throat> but, you know, they're not advocates for their sectarian view. They're advocates for an academic understanding of, of their, you know, of their theology. And so with the Arantia revelation, we don't have that, any of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, none of it. There's no presence. Although yeah, I, I do know we were at recently where we have the World Council of Religions. Uh, was there a presence of Urantia represent? Maybe that's the problem is we don't have representatives like a lot of these organizations. You know, we've sort of shied away from that organizational representative or spokesperson. You know, there is no I, I would maybe except for maybe Mo Siegel. I can't think of anybody else who would be considered a spokesperson for the Urantia book. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, no. I think that I think there are more than a few that are <clears throat> more or less informal, uh, but some a little bit more formal, maybe. But uh, I think you're you're speaking of the World Parliament of Religion, perhaps. Yeah, world, I saw yeah, a world picture Parliament of it. Of religion yeah. is not an academic no. uh, meeting, but more of a popular. Thing and um, yeah, it's a good place, and it but it's not uh, doesn't have kind of the depth. Yeah, I get it. So uh, you're being, excited about this uh, uh, for obvious reasons. Are you? Uh, a, a, what is it that you when you want to? Uh, what, what's your uh, what's your goal or objective uh, to have this continue year after year and and have have perhaps an, an, an ability to introduce the Arantia book to people on the academic level and have them take it seriously. And that's got to be a little challenging, I would imagine, right? Because uh, yeah, the, it is. But I mean, you know, anything to do with, you know, with, 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 a, with a new revelation is, is challenging. And that, that just comes with the territory. If, if you, if you can't, muster the courage to do that, then you shouldn't be in this movement. Although it's fine to read the text for yourself, nothing wrong with that. But um, yeah, so if you're more in, involved with outreach and mission work, <clears throat> you need to, you know, you need to target different sectors of society. So if you want to be really effective, you target more influential sectors of society. Mm -hmm. And so that's my idea is that yeah. this is this is kind of influential, okay? Yeah. But uh, and and if you shy away from it, it means, well, either you, you again not not enough courage, or it means maybe you don't have the courage of your convictions. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you don't think it'll hold up. And and that is why I did the book, which is, you know, really a 
20-year project, um, but refined it when I went back to school. I, I, I was interested in sort of the history of theology, the history of religion, and but I focused on the problem of evil uh, in particular because that is central. It's not the only big problem, but it's a very central problem in, in religion. To see, you know, where does the UB stand up? How does it hold up, really? If you if you looked at this survey, what has been said all the way back to Job in the Old Testament, up to the present, you know, what are we saying about good and evil, and what? It, how do you define it? And the UB really, really holds up quite yeah. well. Yeah. And so, in, in an academic setting, because when I introduced this to the professors that were on, you know, when it's a small committee when you're masters, so you have two people on your committee, and they never could never heard of the Arantia Revelation, of course, and uh, you know, throughout academia, no one's ever heard of it, so it was you know not easy to do. And uh, but it helped that that I'm uh, older than my professors. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they, they look look to me like a more like an equal, but. You know, you just have to be able to talk real fast and and fill in, you know, using their language. And, you know, their language is right there. It's in the libraries. This is how they see the problem of evil from from the lineage, from the Bible. And and it's right explicitly there. And so if you learn their language, they can learn your language, you know, because you can have a dialogue that way. And so I, I entered into this dialogue on the, the so-called problem of evil or theodicy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about that word theodicy. Uh, expound on that word because I frankly was not familiar with it. Yes, yeah, it's just a technical term. It's a professional term. Uh, and it just simply means uh, the, 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 the question of evil and how we use how the, how the answer to that question uh, uh, you know, supports our idea about a good God, right? Is, mm-hmm. So is, is not just good, the goodness of God, but the power of God, the omnipotence of God. So if an omnipotent good God is really the case, then how come we have so much evil mm-hmm. in the world if God is good? And, you know, never, no one's really got a solution to that. I mean, there's, you know, of course, Jesus had, had a solution, but it wasn't a philosophic solution, really. Uh, although the Arantia book depicts Jesus with a philosophic solution to the problem of evil. But the Bible doesn't. Um, right. So, you know, right right there, you, you right there you have this huge advance in that the Bible broaches it. Um, in, in a beautiful way, but doesn't give a philosophic answer. But we have sermons from Jesus in the Arantia book that gives an answer uh, to this problem. Mm-hmm. And so we we give the academic world a chance to look at this and see, hey, man, we you know maybe we've got a solution that you've been looking for uh, philosophically. Well, first with Job, uh, what when you really kind of drill down into the book of Job, what you find out is this is a guy that had a very terrible misfortune and his friends came and, 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 and sat with him in his suffering and grief. And they said, look, it's actually because of this, you know, you're, you're suffering this because of X, Y, Z, right? So they, 
but they they're, they're the, they gave theodicies, okay? And they, they said, well, God allows this to happen to you because you've been a bad person, Job, and this is what you deserve as suffering. And that was the, the theodicy was given to him, which, which was, number one, no consolation. Number two, a false theodicy, you know, philosophically unsound. And the poor guy was inundated with these terrible ideas from his own friends mm-hmm. until he sort of waved them aside and rejected all of their advice. And then he had a revelatory experience where God comes to him and says, no, this is how it really is. This is how I've designed the universe. So have a look at my view, uh, uh, my, my my perspective on the universe. So he reveals, he appears out of the whirlwind and reveals uh, a theodicy, really. And mm-hmm. so what I'm actually saying here in the book is that the Urantia book is the same thing. The Urantia book is God <laughs> coming through his through his uh, angels mm-hmm. and other celestials to tell us how God understands good and evil mm-hmm. so that we can have consolation and uh, I point out and it is I know it's disputed but the the completion of the UB was likely to be 1945 point being here is is that at the time that the final solution was being carried out by Hitler, we were getting a revelation, yeah, the ranch revelation, and that's that's like the it's like what happened with Job. Job was Got at it. his worst, at at hit bottom. Yeah. Then the revelation comes, right? So, so the ranch revelation comes in the darkest hour of the 20th century, really. And if you think of the 1930s, it was, it was the rise of, of the Nazi movement and, and, and of other, you know, Communism. very dark. You write in your book yeah. just about what you're saying. You say, starkly put, I believe we should be open to new revelation at this time because our world needs and indeed has earned a divine rescue and salvage operation. I'd like to refer to such an outreach effort as the compens- compensatory nature of divine revelation. And then this, uh, when a planet is nearing the very extinction of its natal, native life, the heart of the creator is aroused and is moved to call forth emergency measures such as a new revelation or even a divine visitation. Uh, very well put. And I think you're you're right. I mean, it's, it seems to be, I keep thinking it's going to get better and better. Man, when did things start taking a turn is what I'm wondering. Was it the breakdown of the family in the 60s? Jim, well, you and I are really on the same page, and it sounds like we're the same age. Because <laughs> uh, I had the same experience in the 50s that you did. I have a you feeling know, a lot of people I, listening are the same age as we are. I mean, we all have that shared experience, I think. Uh, yeah, if you're in that age group, you, you remember the 50s as this peaceful, harmonious, secure time and then suddenly everything gets appended in the late 60s and then there's kind of this backward regression of the culture you know by the 80s or 90 whenever you think it is and yeah but i mean it's it's just it's cyclical in a sense that the luciferic legacy shows up in ways you you kind of you kind of beat it back for a while for a decade or two but it it returns and it, it, it it in a powerful way and you know, so you have little periods of peace and civilization, 
but they don't last. They're not sustainable. And that's because we've not, you know, adjudication of the Lutheran rebellion. And according to some, it's partially adjudicated or even fully adjudicated, but it, that's disputed, right? So, so in, in any case, we, there, there's not much evidence. I mean, there's strong evidence, let's put it this way, yeah. that, that horrendous evils are still occurring, not unlike the Holocaust that are still occurring. And so the, the test of theodicy really is the degree uh, and depth of evils that are perpetrated. You have to find a way, if you're in this business, of explaining how a loving, all-powerful God can coincide with, you know, uh, the great wars that that are genocidal. Does does our God permit genocide of whole peoples? Well, apparently so, because it happened, and maybe it's going to happen again. And it's and there's been genocides since the Holocaust. It's it's a hard truth. It's not to mean that he's not compassionate. And and besides, we all know that Christ said he'll go through it with you. I mean, he's he's in it to win it. He, he's in, he's a vested partner uh, in that sense. So you know, and obviously the thought adjusters have a real challenge too, because you know they have to go through it. Um, it Those it, are it all revelatory ideas. Yeah, Jim. Yeah, and I want to get back to that because as a as a scholar. Yeah. And going through the process of the seminary school, how consistent was the Arantia book to you? Did it hold up? Did it have the, the right arguments? Yeah, I think that they held up, and I think it's the right phrase, they held up against the other theodicies that are well understood, well known, you know, since Augustine or pre, you know, even biblical origin theodicies, because Augustine is not just biblical. So it holds up in relation to the different kinds, or seven kinds, actually, that I identified yes. over the entire 2,000 years, the types of theodicies. Not only does the Urantia book commensurate with those ideas, but it synthesizes them. That's what's really beautiful and almost hard to believe that I think I've shown and that my professors who've never heard the Rancher book, <clears throat> you know, uh, endorsed actually, um, is, is that the UB is the best of the theodicies of the past, including Augustine, including Thomas Aquinas, including Luther, including mm. the more modern thinkers, uh, and then right up to the present. That it, you know, these are the also human sources, don't forget, of the UB itself. I mean, Augustine and Luther are human sources that not that they're literally, you know, quoted, but that the, the spirit and, and the content of their theologies are reflected in the UB They're but they're transcended as well. So they're included and transcended in the UB. The UB is a synthesis of our tradition uh, in, at least in the regard to this problem, so-called problem of evil I think the book shows that you can proudly tell other, say, Christians, even you know Jewish thinkers, this is our tradition crystallized or, or, or kind of fulfilled even mm -hmm. in a new revelatory text that is not just some new age thing out of the blue. This is something that's rooted in our entire tradition from the time of Jesus's presence on, on earth. Mm -hmm. And it's what it should be. I mean, uh, otherwise, it's just irrelevant New Age 
<laughs> gobbledygook, you know, kind of, as uh, mm-hmm. Meredith Sprunger once said, gobbledygook. <laughs> yeah, I mean, new age, you know, new age has got its purpose, you know, for consolation for people who are not necessarily deep, deeply thoughtful, but but it, it has a, a place. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's part, you know, partial truths are still something, and new age because I was a new age publisher, they're not nothing, you know, but. You need philosophic depth and philosoph. You need to unify your ideas, and we call that theology. Uh, how, how does all of this amount to something, which we can give as a as a discourse that really works, that really supports people to their faith mm-hmm. and their consolation, and particularly when you're facing, you know, you you live in a hurricane area, Fort Myers. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you know you had a big disaster there, so. How, do, how does your faith survive disasters like that? Hey, and, you know, and, I'll tell you something, just uh, as an aside. Uh, I There was a certain kind of, and I know this sounds strange, but I think I wrote a, a, a brief paper on it or something. Uh, the in, in getting a glimpse of the eye of the hurricane, which ooh. I was able to kind of see within like wow. 10 miles, I could see the light coming through, but not exactly th- you know, the blue sky. And I said to myself, you know, it's so calm and peaceful in the middle of this hurricane. It's a lot like uh-huh. paradise. It's a lot like paradise because in the, in the model of paradise, you have all of this energy that's spinning around it in the form of the seven super universes where all this life is happening. And, and the force of life is, is moving and it, it came through and it, you know, irregardless of the fact that humans were here, it cleaned out nature. It cl- it took anything that was dead with it. And wow. afterwards, uh, aside from the mess of the human, uh, you know, trash, everything else was clean. The water was clean. The trees were clean. And I thought, you know, this is, and, and I'm, that's, that's how my faith sort of dealt with the, whatever you could call it, the trauma. Because to me, there was a, there was a metaphorical, perspective, which uh, Immanuel Kant used to talk about, where he says, when you see, if, I think it was Kant, he said, when you see, like when you see a rainbow or you see a magnificent waterfall or something, you're you're peeking into the, 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 the eye of divinity. You're seeing right. a glimpse of deity, uh, yep. you know, and that's what I did. I saw a glimpse of deity in this hor- otherwise horrific, you know, weather phenomena. So, uh and that comes from the teachings of the Arantia book. See, when you yes. when you study them long enough, and then things do happen, your mind refers to something that it learned either through Jesus's teachings or the Arantia book. At least that's my experience. So, yeah. uh, and um, you know, then that, that that is really the like a method that the Arantia book teaches us, which is that. The the light is there, even if you can barely see it. But it may be obscured for now. But the omnipotent, all loving God is present. However, don't forget that that that's in in the central universe. You know, the Father rules in perfection, mm-hmm. and all the beings are perfect or you know perfected beings. But outside of the of of, of the central universe, it's it's the domain of the supreme, the evolving deity, and so in evolutionary planets, there's lots of lots of lots of grief and darkness and suffering, but yes, the at the center of this is paradise, 
and it's light. Um, so how do we give consolation to people who are facing the kind of perils that we have now on the planet where we're really accumulating dark clouds? And so that, that's why I also you know, call for in the book and, and elsewhere that Urantians should get involved in ministries, uh, direct ministries, open ministries, using the Urantia text uh, to provide hope and consolation in, in these times, they're difficult times, but we're not yet doing it. And many of us aspire to do it, but we're not doing it. <clears throat> so uh, what I'm trying to do is at least have a, an academic support for that, which in other words, you, if you had a theological center to train people, you could train ministers who really understand the Rancho text in relation to the biblical text, who can be these kind of teachers and preachers, you know, because we're going to have climate change is going to, you know, just what visited you in Fort Myers and so much, so much to deal with in the coming decade and two, say two decades that we really need an updated picture of God's love for us, despite the the apparent evils, <laughs> um, and in fact that the, that God doesn't permit the evils, but but creates a context in which humans can outwork, you know, with working with these elements, their free will, their freedom, but with the the necessities of life that are not necessarily going to be provided, you know, without human effort. So it's kind of a long-winded way of saying, um, you know, we need we need to we need to become leaders in our in our current culture, and stop being uh, underground, with uh, uh, and and timid. Yeah. With our revelation. You. So uh, no, I I was there were two divergent questions depending on. Which one you want to answer? My first is going back to the Lucifer, the Luciferian concept of unbridled self-liberty, which I think is what we're experiencing now. Uh, yeah. and, and that's why everything is off the rails, you know. Uh, but yeah. I also thought I would go into the direction of what you were saying about coming out of the shadows. And how do we do that when we, you know, to me, there this is going to be a process that takes maybe a thousand years because it seems to me that the people at large would not be yet quite prepared for these concepts that are in the Arantia book. Now they may change their mind when they start dis discovering that there is life in abundance in, in the universe, you know, and then we start detecting life on other planets, but that's, you know, decades away probably. Uh, but eventually I think the reality of, of the Arantia book will catch up to the people and they'll start to see, oh, okay, well, but we can't even have discussions about race as they're depicted in the Arantia teachings or the book. No. We can't have no. gender conversations because anybody who reads the Arantia book would, would, would automatically understand that this whole transgender movement is attaching itself to the Luciferian concept of unbridled self-liberty. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. taking your own reality and running with it, that that's counter to the teachings of the Urantia book. Right. You have yeah, to recognize right. your, what is they, they call it, your, your cosmic obligations. You know, yeah. you, you know yeah. this wasn't just created for us to be able to turn our hair purple and 
walk around and identify as is unknown objects. You know, I mean, this is what we, this is what we've become in our world today. And it's, um, I think I mentioned it somewhere. You know, God, God isn't in the room, and that I think when the, when that happens, it, you know, the nature abhors a vacuum. It's going to get filled with something, and it's being, uh, in my opinion. And I'd love to get your take on this. Is you know the Arantia book would be spit on. I mean, how dare you say God the Father as if fathers <laughs> right. are the only things that can be God? I mean, there's yeah. you can't even get past that discussion. So how well, the hell? No. <laughs> no, I mean you just have to do it. You have to get past it. You have to answer it. You have to have the chops to do it. You have to have the training to do it and to prevail in these discussions. That's the reason why we need to have academics involved in the sense that they can help you make these distinctions. In other words, you're an undergraduate somewhere or, you know, more likely a graduate student in religion and theology. And the professor says, now we're going to spend a week on the Arantia revelation. I'm not sure what it is, but man, does it have a lot of depth theologically uh, so we're going to expound on that this week, and we want you to read these excerpts. This is what ought to be happening in in these programs, in these academic programs. Kids should be trained in what the Urantia book teaches on these subjects. Uh, I would say that's an imperative, and it's inexcusable, really, that the academic community doesn't know and has not examined this. <clears throat> so that that's one of But I want to backtrack a little bit on another aspect of what you're saying, which is there was a consensus su- sufficient to hold culture, our cultures together in the 40s, 50s, early 60s, which you and I are on the same page about. And you can tell when you look at the cultural, uh, you know, signposts of that period, for example, movies in the 40s and 50s, you can feel the sense that there was a solidarity and consensus culturally about what was good and what was bad. Yeah. Because the bad guys were bad guys and the good guys were good guys, you know, mainly. But but it was not it was not Sunday school. It was, you know, sophisticated stories. Now we don't have that kind of sense of of uh, of of solidarity and unity in the culture. We have a breakdown of this. And that's because Christianity itself has run out of steam. You know, the Christian culture has lost its legitimacy with the elites, right? I mean, they, 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 you know, the, the, the mainline church has declined about 80% in membership since 1960. And that was the elite consensus was the mainline Protestant church. Yeah. It it was on that basis that we had that period uh, of, of solidarity. Yeah. Yeah, peace, solidarity, prosperity, cultural agreement, general cultural agreement, with big exceptions, you know, around you know civil rights, for example. But, but enough that that there was a sense, a feeling of belonging that everybody had, except those those minorities. And then their rights were then recognized in the '60s and '70s, right? So, it should have it should have been sufficient for cultural unity, but it wasn't sufficient because the church ran ran out of credibility by that time so so people were just anything goes really and and um, yeah well uh, i think you, you the one word you maybe could include in this is the the breakdown of the family because uh, the, the part of that solidarity came from the recognized 
you know, there was a moral obligation, uh, right or wrongly uh, constructed or otherwise, that you, the proper way was to have a family, that family was very important, and that it was the family where real social structure sort of, you know, gets built. And we've lost that sense now. Now a family is, it can be any variation of things. Now I'm not, I'm not just specifically saying that, but that, that community of family is, seems to be shattered. And I don't know why. I, I don't know if it's part of the evolutionary growth. Maybe we're, maybe we'll become a different kind of society with different kinds of families in the future. I don't know. Maybe we'll produce babies in the factory. I, I don't know where the world is headed. Um, you know, scientifically, uh, the whole point of male and female is moot because you can go down and get, you know, you could get yourself inseminated. Um, so, uh, and so even that is proven unsettling, I think for the world, because we're, we're grappling with new rules to the game. Right. Yeah. But we call this the post post postmodernism, right? Where there really isn't any set boundaries or structures that we can rely on, for example, that genders have spheres, as Eurajibo calls it, right? That there's a structure here that we call feminine, another structure we call masculine. And in fact, it's upheld by the func- the kind of bi- functions that we see in the Divine Mother, Mother Spirit, mm-hmm. functions differently than than Christ Michael. He function he has different things that Christ Michael does because he's he's mas- he's in the masculine archetype. Mm-hmm. So that that kind of structure is well uh, when you question it completely, <laughs> then you anything goes, as yeah. I said. Yeah. Go ahead. No, yeah. that's well put. That's well put. Um, but uh, and it, I also wanted to m- mention this. Do you know or are you aware of uh, the Arantia book being, being taught in any colleges? I believe that Angie Thurston. Uh, it was involved in some outreach in Boston, but I don't know enough on that. But certainly the Urantia book must be being taught in college. No, no, I'm not aware. I don't think it is. Um, uh, I, that, that's really kind of my, one of my main yeah. uh, complaints. And, and uh, you know, An- Angie introduced the UB at Harvard Divinity School mm. And you know her charisma and, and her you know, persuasive ability. She, she had a lot of inroads, but she didn't. It was never taught there, but she just simply set up a study group, which still is still there. And there were one or two professors who were friendly to it, but no, it's not taught at Harvard and it's not taught anywhere. And that's that's the tragedy of our movement, is that it is not taught to young people. They have no idea about it. And again, this is back to this notion of. of Structures, right? So the, if the, the structure uh, for culture is that there are certain uh, centers of uh, cultural uh, wisdom and dissemination called universities. And uh, universities are places where the Uran the book is really designed for university study. Yeah. And it's, it, it provides you with something that is a bulwark against postmodern, postmodern. Um, uh, sentiments, which is a really, you know, what we call post-truth society, right? There really are no truths. They're just fungible, you know, perspectives that anybody can have any perspective, and they're all kind of valid. Your uh, truth, because, my truth, right? Yeah. Yeah, you it's, hear that a lot. Uh, anything, you know, anything goes, it's do your own thing, 
And uh, that that came from the 60s, more or less, but it, it came into academia, and I was present and saw it come into academia, <laughs> where, you know, the the what were considered facts for centuries were questioned. No, these really aren't facts. These are just power games <laughs> being played by mm-hmm. by certain powerful groups, so that whatever you see in the Bible was just because somebody won power, you know, in the 4th century— you know, because they had a conclave and they said, this is what the truth is. But we all know that was just their will to power. They were trying to take over the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. this is how they began to point. Yeah. cast out on the Bible. Right. So one, once the Bible becomes, well, just another sort of uh, piece of, of propaganda, um, you, you then what, what are you going to stand on? Well, guess what? We got a new revelation. We got kind of a... Mo- a new modern Bible that can fit the bill, but yeah. it was not. It was not pro- promulgated to the to those those leaders and those elites. Mm. It was not done. It was not done. It was it was evaded, and this is a responsibility that was evaded for reasons, you know, maybe good reasons, you know, but it was was not accomplished. So we have a, a, a deficit here. We have we have to remediate, and it's never too late in my view. Especially since it purports to be a divine and epical revelation. I mean, somewhere in academia, somebody has, uh, to me, that that's a screaming headline. God speaks. Uh, and, and you make the point, again, in your book, that, you know, it, it's an appropriate response to a people who are going through this sort of ideological struggle. I mean, they certainly recognize that we're going through the uh, uh, ideological struggle. And so they, so this is their answer to that, but it's going to take a little time because we're our language, we don't have the concepts of a local universe or uh, constellations and system sovereigns. We don't have the concepts of the hierarchy of, of. Uh, I remember one of the early criticisms to Sadler that he received when he tried to introduce the book to his fellows, and Sadler was a true academic. I mean, the the guy had. How many PhDs did he have, uh, and his wife well, Lena? I mean, they were brilliant, well respected. I mean, I, I don't think of them as, as great academics, but they were great thinkers. Well, they're yeah. So, well, they were innovative in, in trend setting for their yeah. for their time and age, especially in health and things of that nature. Yeah. So, but they were getting pushback, saying, you know, it's too gnostic. I mean, what is it with all these? You know, even even Meredith, uh, who I've spoken now three or four times. Uh, a, a real important mentor to me in my early years uh, yeah. is that that he even put it away when when he was first given the book. It wasn't until he actually read the the part about Jesus and the twelve apostles that he went, "Wow, who wrote this?" So I'll ask you, Byron, yeah. what was your wow moment? Oh, <laughs> I guess it was part four. Um, when um, if, if you really, you know, when I was a young man and had a summer with nothing to do, especially, so I was able to read that straight through. So I think everybody, anybody that reads part four straight through, that's that's going to be a wild most, or it was for me, transformative. Um, now, it makes a difference of the timing, because that was the 70s. When people still believed in in these things, we still believed in this guy Jesus and the biblical account, 
was not invalidated entirely. So, uh, so it's a little harder now because it's like, well, totally out of context. I mean, who cares about biblical realities anymore uh, among most people, many people. But anyway, that was my wow moment was part four for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think my wow moment was part one. But uh, just because the just the way the word, it, it just, it reeked of authority. Like whoever wrote this knew what they were talking about. So who am I? That's one of the things that, that believe it or not, Byron, I, I get reassurance. I can tell from the quality of your, your, your writing and your research that you put into not only this book, but your previous book. Um, and it, 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 it you're a smarter man, so I, I guess if you're smarter than me and you think the Urantia book is a revelation, who am I to disagree? <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, you, you, you are because... someone who should and could disagree. <laughs> There's no authorities here, and, and, and but what, what, I, what I would appeal to is a consensus among a community is what it's not about any particular leader or person or writer. Because you can have idiosyncratic, you know, people rise up and say, you know, this, you know, have a cultish kind of focus on a person who says this is true or not true. And I'm not personally; I have no interest in that. I'm interested in in the community of uh, a cultural community and religious community that ha is working on this as a team in a team-like way that you can support each other. Uh, as we have these challenges, but if you're just standalone doing this and going sure. out, you know, to your local, you know, professor of theology, and you're nobody, you know, you're walking in with this big book, it's it's a terrible way to do your. What we need to do is you need to be able to say, we we have an entire community of scholars who've written articles in your journals about this, so we'll look those up. And you'll see that we, we, we know what we're talking about. Not only that, we also know what you're talking about. We, we know the tradition that you're talking about, but we have something to add to your tradition rather than we have, we have the final, you know, we have the ultimate state. That isn't what this is. It's not the, the, the standalone at all. It's, it's a standing on the shoulders of the tradition, particularly the Christian tradition, yeah. so that we, we need to be able to tell them, is your tradition that we are uh, ratifying and also we're sorting it out. There are parts that, like the atonement doctrine, you know, that's not, that's need to be put aside, okay? The patriarchal male-oriented religion, that needs to be put aside. You know, certain things need to be corrected, but in, in, in the main, you know, the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament are really good, and they're, we, they're we stand relevant. on that yeah. with you. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Um, but, you know, is there enough validation? Is there enough evidence? Somebody would say, well, prove to me that this Urantia book has is a revelatory document. Now, I personally can point to probably a half a dozen revelatory statements. Uh, I'm sure you can, too. Is there enough evidence to, to support that claim? I mean, uh, it, people have said, you know, judge the Urantia book on the merit of its contents. And you will see. Are you satisfied intellectually that it proves its case? Uh, I, I don't think I am in, in the in the narrow sense um, that the within from within the text you can prove the text. I, I don't think that works. It it could work in certain circumstances, 
but I think it, it has to be what we call intertextual rather than textual. In other words, it, how does it correlate with Luther, Augustine, the Bible, uh, Hegel, Kant? How does it speak to those pro- the problems that these, these men highlighted? That, that's intertextual. That's what I'm doing in my book. I'm not just, you know, celebrating the beautiful Urantia revelation. We, we, we have to stop just doing that in isolation. That, that can't work. That's no proof there, number one. Number two, you need to be able to point to the fruits of the text, the fruits of the revelation. You need to be able to say, look, we have a thriving community here. <clears throat> look at the charitable works that we're doing. Look at the, look at, look at the way we're, we're influencing you know, whatever it may be um, in society and politics. Uh, you can't really point to that right now. You know, you, you can't take somebody to a study group, and the study group isn't going to be sufficient proof of fruits of the spirit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so that that's the, there's many many big problems here. So the text itself doesn't stand alone on its own, nor and the community is not yet mature enough to exhibit the fruits of the spirit that would attract people through that through that vehicle. I'm sure you're familiar, uh, Dr. Philip Calabrese did a statistical analysis of, of statements that were unverified at the time the Urantia book was written, and he, he played it at 1955. So anything that was discovered after 1955, uh, and he did a statistical analysis of, I think there were maybe 15 different things that were stated in the Urantia book that were not conclusive by the scientific community until after the publication of the book. So it, it lends itself to the sort of prophetic, how could they have predicted this would be an established fact? So for example, Pangea was still sort of a theory, but it wasn't until 1962 that we conclusively knew that there was you know, continental drift and so forth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And his, his analysis as a mathematician, which is interesting, was that there was a 50 million to one odds that whoever wrote the book would have been systematically correct on those numbers of things that they stated as fact and and yeah. also ignoring things uh what was that one discovery that turned out to be fake of skeletal remains i can't remember yeah, yeah. but anyway it's an interesting you know uh, from a mathematical equation he he, he points that out so for, if you're not familiar with it, I think you are. I, I'm sure you've. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah you're very familiar with it. And, but it's and very compelling. I, I think it's compelling for the believers, but it's not compelling outside. Mm. Say, the reason I say it is number one, he's he is a believer. Number one, number two, there isn't any uh, external. Uh, there isn't a peer review process for his work. So uh, what what we now need is a peer review. Oh yeah, I like that of, of this kind of work. And this is not not like rocket science. This is how everything is done. This is how you do your science. Sure. This is how you do. Yeah. So you need to have a as a, as I'm saying a community of uh, with a discourse where there is a lot of agreement and there's a lot of depth. But it's not a lot of depth to have one isolated mathematician who is already a believer making these claims it's right. not there's it, it's a, it's definitely because he's going to be biased right i mean obviously <laughs> your bias yeah. is towards proving your your assertion and that's it, to, yeah. yeah it's it's just not it's what a sect does it's 
this is sectarian behavior, but I mean, in the good sense, I mean, I love Phil and his work and, and everything, but it's, we're a sect that we're not part of the larger discourse of, 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 of people who are theistic Christians. Mm -hmm. We're not in that because we don't have peer review. So if what reason I'm again, going to this academic conference is to begin to start this process of letting other peer peers who are academics work with us, look at our data, look at, look at what Phil said, or look at my book, whatever, review it, pass it around. Then you, then you begin to get something that has credibility, but you can't have standalone, yeah. uh, you know, profits like that. I mean, profits have a place for sure, but profits are not, do not constitute the culture. The culture has to respond to the, to these leaders and then develop the consensus of solidarity that we right now don't have, but we will have. Yeah. Well, I think you're a little bit more optimistic about academics than I am because uh, my experience with academics is that they, they have their own built-in bias and they're very, uh, uh, What's the word? Uh, they don't want to be out of step with their contemporaries. And now more than ever, because environmentalism has been infected by politics, uh, pharma has been infected by the profit motive and by politics. Uh, everybody's got a piece of the pie and nobody's going to step out. And you have to have a certain amount of faith walking into this book, uh, I would say. I mean, it, it sounds to me like in, in, your, in your experience, the Urantia book is a matter of faith. I mean, you have to kind of believe that there that this is possible for this reality to be true, and uh, and that and you can't prove it by its own. What you've just said is that that even Calabrese's stuff is biased. So would it stand up to peer review? How how could you peer review, for example, the paper on the uh, celestial artisans? You couldn't. Oh, right. You couldn't. Well, you you would have a tough time. But you would, uh, you, you know, you, anything goes. I mean, in the sense of academia, you can take on any problem. That would be one I wouldn't do first, but I would certainly look at its claims about Christ. That is there plausibility in the idea that Christ would say such things? Is mm -hmm. there plausibility in the idea that, say, there were women apostles? You know, the women's evangelistic, is that, is that a plausible idea or is that just some freakish, off-the-wall, new-age idea? Mm -hmm. uh, and and that, that's, that's not such a stretch for a scholar or, you know, more I think more important, let's look at the theology of the Urantia book. Is that a contribution to theology? It, or is it just, you know, some 19th century ideas, ideas of, is it just Sadler's ideas? Well, if you if you drill down into current theology, the Arantia books theology solves some big problems that are not solved, mm -hmm. especially evolutionary deity. And there were suggestions of evolutionary deity very strongly in Whitehead's work in process theology is very well established. But the Arantia book has much more to say about evolutionary deity than even Whitehead. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, we can, you know, that, that's why I presented the Urantia book to a, a leading scholar in process theology, and this person's fairly excited. And I will, I will meet this professor mm -hmm. in uh, Denver at the AER 
who's like, wow, this is interesting. You guys came up with this and that that's what Whitehead came up with. And you guys extended in these directions. And so, you know, you, you can find the, you can build these bridges um, where you may not have thought because evolution has really begun to validate the, the Urantia book and evolution of theology is validating the Urantia uh, theology mm-hmm. and, and the science, according to Calabrese is also being validated. So, we we just need to step out and and be willing to take the arrows of, of criticism. Yeah, that's that's the thing is we have to be willing to do that, and I think it's a good thing that you're going because you put that you put a very good face on the credibility of the Arantia book, which could, you know, and in, in, in line with that, part three of the Arantia book, there's a statement the authors say the the historical records of this what is stated here. Uh, or, or the statements will stand the testament of time or the test of time. And so I take that to mean that there's a lot of discovery to be made in the Arantia book, particularly part three in the sciences, uh, even going back to, you know, the origins of our sun and the nebula and, and correlating the big bang and trying to figure out there's just a, it's a, to me, if, as a scientist, if somebody handed me a book and said, you know, if you read about the geological history book, you might learn something from this book that could help you in a discovery of something that could further along, you know, that, that particular discipline. And I think that's what also needs to take place is people need to find evidence in this book that's, that, that how did this book know this? How did they know that there's shale all over, you know, Kentucky. Who knew about, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, they, they describe, yeah, right. you know, and I think there's there are Nobel Prizes to be won just by applying some of the some of the uh, clues that the, you know, that are contained in the book. To me, that to me is exciting. The astronomical uh, information that they have, the, the types of planets that have different kinds of worlds could help us maybe look a little deeper at, at, at certain, you know, they're discovering uh, planets all the time that are in that uh, Goldilocks zone uh, right. all the time. And, and this Urantia book puts a face on that. You know, there are planets where you have three-foot-high people uh, that are not necessarily descended from lemur-like. They have different, uh, you know, that to me just opens up a lot of different worlds of discovery. So hopefully exactly. this will be a, a big first step in that direction because I think that would help validate at least drive some curiosity and and then do what you say the peer review I think that's That's important yeah thank you saying it was so well said and you know I think those are actually career directions for young people coming up is like hey man I'm going to base my career on what the Rancher book says about the location of Eden yeah for example, and you know, in that connection, as you know, um, there's mm-hmm. been two expeditions to the site. Yep. You know, and the second one was funded by the History Channel, and you know, scientists were aboard that ship, and and really the problem there was the equipment malfunctioned, and <laughs> uh, you know, but that but that's a very interesting and valid uh, uh, pursuit, is scientific and a, a geological or you know, archaeological pursuit, just by itself could be somebody's career. In archaeology, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and in right. fact, uh, we uh, I'm involved with that project, and it, it's really been revived, I'd say, because of the new interpretation of the data that uh, Captain Robert Bates has put out in in a book 
called the Eden Atlantis Project. And it's just another example of these areas where we need to look at what, what, the, what the legacy is and then correlate it with the UB. We, in this case, you know, Robert Sarmas looked at Plato's legacy, you know, and everybody else that talked about Atlantis. Right. And then correlated it with real data with the guidance of the Arantia book. So, you know, it's just there's a hundred things like that that are waiting uh, for us to have the courage to take take them on. Can I ask uh, you, since you're you're aware of that project, I've, I've always been curious. Uh, I don't know whether it was Albert Katzen's uh, stuff that he did early on, but it, it is. am I right in guessing that the peninsula of the Edenic Peninsula is off the coast of Latakia? In Syria, there's like a a, a drop-off cliff uh, where you could actually almost kind of see the curvature of an inland, now submerged inland, or or, or is it somewhere else? Do, do we know where the actual, or would he, do we suspect from Bates and Sarmas' work that that we know approximately where Eden is, is located? Uh, yeah, we now have a divergence between the two. Uh, Sarmas, as you, I guess you were alluding to came out recently and said, no, we really had the wrong area of uh, Eastern Mediterranean. And if you're referring to that, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we, uh, we being Robert Bates and, and I yeah. <laughs> disagree with him um, on that respectfully. And um, based on the data and the analysis of the data that already been obtained, we think that th there's a very strong indication that we were right, that he was right in the first expedition. <clears throat> and and so Bates, you might want to have Bates come on your show because he's active and I'm working with him with, with a few other people, including a couple of archaeologists that have to. come to our side. Yeah. And and he, he is really strong on this. And the book that he put out, which I helped him with, was – very strong and not well received in the rancher community for whatever reason, but it's 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 a data analysis of the uh, already acquired data, things that people missed because everybody was so disappointed after the second expedition because of the because yeah. the, the failures of the equipment. But um, so he stuck with it, and um, you know, on the larger point, um, the contextual we have a contextual problem. Because somebody just pitched this for us to the Discovery Channel, right? A yeah. really good person at the Discovery Channel now has this data, but they they have never heard of the Arantia book. Of course, okay. <laughs> so we have a huge problem with this guy. Yeah. But I, I think when he looks at at the way Bates laid out the data in, in these beautiful color color uh, images and illustrations. Then it's it's pretty compelling. But again, he he's like, "Who are you people? Where'd you come from? What is this text?" It's just it's daunting, you know. Yeah. Um, so, it's, so, it's, a, yeah. it's a Boulder based uh, historical society. We call ourselves Urantia. That's all. Uh, but so where is it? So where did where is Eden? Where did it? What what part of Syria did it spring off from before it got submerged so many thousands of years ago? Did I, I, did I miss what you what you had said? Uh, yeah, that, that there was a disagreement now. The original um, sunk, the sunken land, so-called, uh, it's called the Malavitsky's sort of continent, scientifically. Yeah. It has this, you know, this apparent connection, 
but it's one mile down, right? So, so yeah, right. <laughs> you got to really get some good instruments out there to validate that. But we, we think even in 2007, we have enough validation of the original thesis. But Starmass has this new thesis, and there's this other pretty prominent guy that has says it's even further south toward Israel, uh, and, uh, and all that seems to be sorted out. But I, but I think that Bates shows you know the the, the artifact on the ocean bottom. It was identified even in the first expedition, which is one mile plus straight line with a right angle turn, very distinct 90 degree right angle turn is can't possibly be natural. And that yeah. that's not a disputed uh, image, you know, piece of data. Nobody disputes that data. Mm. And and so that 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 is one of several key elements and he you know Sarmath had the view that that was a wall but uh Bates has changed that interpretation to I don't know if you heard this Jim but that uh that's the sewage system conduit that the UB tells you about right where yeah yeah so he's saying that so so you know this is a serious you know, it's based on 10 years of studying the data that Bates, so I don't know how we got into this time. Well, no, it's, but it's, I, no, I, but I it's very it's interesting good. too, because it kind of yeah. lends itself to the whole idea that yes, uh, there's a lot that academia could benefit from the study of the Arantia book. And this is just one example of that. Well, listen, I, huge, yeah, yeah, yeah. go ahead. John. Uh, yeah. Final question. Uh, your evolving soul book did well. Were you surprised? Um, uh, yeah, I, I you know I didn't know what to think, but it, it I wouldn't say it sold that that well, but it was well reviewed and um, uh, thank you. Yeah, I mean I think people who've read it really like it, and I uh, often hear from them. So you know, yeah. there's a hunger, and there's not. An, I know there's all kinds of self help books out there, but you know the basic questions: Why are we here? Where are we going? What's our purpose? What's the soul? How do I pray? Those are the basic fundamentals, and. Uh, you know, almost like, you know, there is a, uh, is a good example just pops into my head. Uh, at some point, I think society had a hurricane and it separated uh, basic religious, you know, what they call the classics. The, the new people today, there, there's a gap. They didn't, it didn't carry over, uh, yeah. you know, from you think about in, in the 1800s, everybody learned how to read by reading the Bible. Right. That, that's not happening today, you know. So there's a there's a there's a language, maybe a spiritual conceptual deficit, even in basic things like the soul. I mean, the soul used to be something that was debated. Now, you know, other than the the upcoming conference, I don't hear those kinds of discussions being debated on, you know, uh, Kelly Clarkson, or uh, you know, whatever TV show is on. They're not having. The Urantia book, you need to go to TED Talks. That's what you need to do, Byron. You need to get yourself invited on Mm -hmm. TED Talks and get over there and get those people to, you know, learn the name Urantia. Because right Mm -hmm. now, half the time people go, what? What is that? What is that? Chacha? (laughs) (laughs) Even if you Google it, if you Google Urantia, it'll it'll come back Rancho. (laughs) 
<laughs> or ranch, the ranch. So we got our work cut out for us. New kind of dressing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm inviting colleagues to join me in this end of it, which is more, a little bit more of the academic end of it. But um, I, 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 maybe we can conclude with that the initiative that I have has two parts. One part is the academic or, or a seminary. Um, this is a 20-year project, but but that that if we're training people theologically, that they, we should train them to be ministers as well. They, yeah, that hasn't happened. Trained. They've tried that. The, Didn't they try? Did. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody tried a Urantia school, Urantia University. Yeah, the well, that's still going and it's still okay, and I think it's it's growing and and but it's 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 got the paradigm of we're not in relationship to the Christian tradition. We are separate and a distinct and stand above and beyond it. That's that's kind of the posture of the Urantia University, which I honor what they're doing, but I disagree respectfully that the ranch book does not stand alone. And, you, and then, so the university should have courses in biblical studies. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and I sound like this old guy ranting, but uh, I just think it's, 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 a, it's not a responsible way to do it because the ranch book builds on the tradition. And I, 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 you know, I say, you know, with all humility that, that I'm trying to show that in my book that, the Rancher book is in intertextual. It's in relationship to our tradition. It is not standalone. So in university training should be intertextual. Yeah. You should be reading outside the Rancher book, not just internally in the Rancher book. It doesn't work. I hear it you. It actually doesn't yeah. work to do that. It doesn't have the, uh, it has to have that scholarly credulity. You know, uh, if you graduate from Rancher University, it should mean something. And not just, oh, well, you're an expert at the Urantia book, you know? Yeah, just one little text versus, versus, versus you know, you study part four. Let's say you had a study of part four at the Urantia University. You ought to be able to come out of there and say, oh, well, th these, are, these, are, these are things that echo the Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, this is where they're quoting literally a passage of Jesus in the Bible. This is biblical. Yeah. And, and so that you build a bridge to your colleagues in the churches rather than your standalone sect yeah, without relation to, point. to, that, to that path. Right. Uh, good point. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. It's something for all of us to sort of take that in. Well, uh, Byron Belitzos, uh, if I called you the academic uh, professor of the Urantia book, and I wish you well on this upcoming event. And, uh, and maybe we could have you back on and you could share some insights that you got from this upcoming conference. So good luck on that. Hey, listen, by the time uh, I know we're uh, at the time of the recording, it's a few days before the elections. Uh, care to make any predictions? I think everybody is saying even Bill Maher <laughs> just said last night, if anybody watches that. You know, he, yeah, I think that the Republicans are going to, to you know, be strong, really strong. And that's just the way it goes, you know, and yeah. we have to deal with that. And, you know, as your ranchians, uh, you know, we have a bigger picture. And so we have to encompass whatever happens, you know, with grace. That's the way I would yeah. put it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just think uh, it's the economy, stupid. 
<laughs> everything is about the economy. And, and uh, you know, I learned during the hurricane that energy is very important. Without it, society crumbles very quickly. So anyway, uh, but it's good to catch up with you. Thank you again for coming on. And uh, the new book is going to be out, Truths About Evil, Sin, and the Demonic Toward an Intracult Theodicy for the 21st Century. It is a fantastic read. Uh, absolutely. I'm about three quarters through and just, it's a wonderful book. So when it comes out, uh, Amazon, is that the usual origin press, right? Origin press. Oh, no, it's a, uh, it's a uh, press is a, it's an academic press. Uh, and, uh, but it will be on Amazon, okay. but anybody listening to this, you know, it's likely someone I know they can just contact me and I'll send them the PDF because this is because in academic publishing, they, they're now charging a lot of money for a book, it's going to be close to $40. Wow. Um, so I want my friends to have it, so I'll send you the PDF. Okay. All right. Well, we'll talk again. Thank you, Byron. I appreciate it. And I am very curious to hear how it goes with the, uh, the upcoming conference. I think that'll be exciting. Okay. Thanks a lot, Jim. Thanks for checking out this latest podcast. And again, thanks to Byron for joining us. Don't forget to new episodes now twice a week follow this podcast and be sure to share it with fellow truth seekers who want to know more about the urantia book also follow us online at urantiaradio.net i'm jim watkins thanks for stopping by